1: We'll get on to today's episode in just a moment. Robin chatting to author Zena Barry. But first, a thank you to our Patreon supporters. Uh, Remember, you can become a Patreon supporter of this podcast at patreon.com slash bookshambles to get extended episodes each and every week, uh, support everything we do at the Cosmic Shambles Network, and get lots of extra goodies and bonus uh, offers on tickets to our live shows and all that sort of stuff. Speaking of live shows coming up, is five shows of nine lessons and carols for curious people. Robin hosting every night the usual mix of science, comedy, music, literature, poetry and everything else really, lasers probably. They're all at King's Place on December 10, 11. Uh, there's a matinee on the 11th as well, a family show, and the 17th and the 18th. Lots of guests including Chris Lintot and Helen Chesky and Izzy Sooty, Mark Watson, Jocelyn Bell Burnell, Chris Jackson... Miranda Lowe and lots of others as well and then on December 14 uh this year's Brian Cox and Robin Ince's Christmas Compendium of Reason is at the Royal Albert Hall. Profits from that show and all the Nine Lessons shows will be going to charity as ever. Robin and Brian will have a host of amazing secret surprise guests for the Albert Hall show. Tickets for all those events are available now. And now, without any further ado, here is Robin and Zena. Anyway, welcome. Good morning, good afternoon,
0: good evening, depending on your time of listening to this. Um, And uh, this is Josie and Robin's. Shambles, which is uh, currently just with me because uh, Josie is, uh, she's very busy with some things. And uh, I hope all of you saw, obviously, our appearance on uh, Pointless Celebrities. I would imagine it will now lead to us getting an enormous number of offers from television people. I imagine (laughs) they will be absolutely flooding in. Let us never forget such excellent answers as uh, Arundhati Roy and Eve Ferret. Both excellent, um, and also mention the fact that because uh, I've got a podcast, I can use it to plug my own books. Don't forget that the importance of being interested is out now. You can get it in an audio version, or you can get it in a hardback version. Um, and uh, it all seems to be going quite well. I've done about uh, at the time of recording this. I've now been to seventy different independent bookshops to do talks, and I think I've worked out that I've got thirty-eight to go. So I might see you at one of those events, um, and uh, if I don't, well. I think that's a sad thing, but let's not worry about it too much. Anyway, uh, welcome to This Morning's author, who's written one of my favourite books of the last few years. And and the reason that I wanted to get her on this was because sometimes you read a book and you think, I want everyone to read this. And uh, I'm determined to get everyone listening to this to go and buy this book, because it is a book that is wonderful and funny and sad and beautiful. And uh, and it just... it, it It's also beautifully, it feels beautifully real, um and just the characters in it, Maud, who's the, 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 the lead character, just is is fully realised pretty much from page one. So, please welcome Zena Barry. Hello, oh, Zena. Yeah.
2: That was very nice, thank you.
0: So, let's start off with Your Friend Forever, which is uh, about, well, this is always a tricky thing, isn't it? When you start off, how much of Maud is teenage you?
2: well probably maybe 95% <laughs> and Some, what something around something around that
0: and what brought you i mean because i don't know if you remember i have a fantastic book called starlust do you remember right. starlust no. it was it was letters from fans it came mm-hmm. out in the late 70s early 80s and um it was uh, letters to barry Manilow, uh people with kind of um Strange fantasies about boy George, where a surprising <laughs> number of fans really didn't work out his sexuality. No, um, <laughs> and um, and things like you know, sometimes when I'm thinking of Michael Jackson, I look at the moon and I wonder if Michael Jackson's looking at the moon at exactly the same time. And I have all this connection, and it's filled with that kind of you know, really um, febrile and 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 tense. Um, sometimes you know, j- just all of that adoration when you were lost in pop music. So where were you lost in pop music?
2: And um, so I think I think for me, uh, well, I, I, wrote, I wrote letters all the time to to everybody, pop stars, but also other people. So like Peter Sissons I wrote to, uh, I would just sort of latch on. I would latch on to people and and then not be able to unlatch. And I think it was because, you know, I think I had quite a strange upbringing with a lot of um, shouting. And so I sort of went very, very deeply back into my head and sort of stayed inside my head rather than, do you ever have that thing where you're, you're looking at things and you feel like you're watching TV and it's actually happening in front of you?
0: Yeah, that, yeah, I know what you mean, that kind of thing. You know what detachment. I mean? But you're so yeah.
2: deeply inside your head. Like there was an incident, Michelle and I, um, once, we're, it was New Year's Eve, and we were in a pub in Shoreditch, and a man came in and just started stabbing people with a massive knife. And it was a weird moment of just thinking, oh, is this like that, that? It felt like watching a film. And then we, we realised that we were in it and then had to leave quite quickly by, like, scrambling over tables and things. But, um, yeah, I quite often have that thing of just watching things and I feel like I'm very far back in my own head. And so <laughs> I would write lots of letters to people. I was not sort of dealing with the life that was happening around me. I was, like, completely... Oh, it's hard to describe. Completely sort of shut myself off from that, felt like a little wall there and then just concentrated on writing letters to anybody that I'd sort of latched onto and thought, oh, this person will understand this idea that I've had about this thing. So I'm going to write to them. Um, And that felt very um, cathartic.
0: That's very yeah. interesting. That sense of when you, uh, of of a, a kind of viewer detachment, where you you you're almost in the stalls, as you were saying, or you're in, you know, and you just go because I yeah, I can definitely understand that. That I mean, I, it made me think of you know when after the uh, the twin towers were attacked, that the, the speed in which many people started to talk of it as almost a cinematic event, to, yeah. you know that 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 detachment from from the actual the reality of the pain. Um, and were there any? I mean. Apart from Peter Sissons, which is a really fascinating one. Peter Sissons was he doing the BBC News at the time?
2: Yeah, I think he might have done like the six o'clock news, but he seemed like a nice man. Was um, was
0: that what would have drawn you to that, like that idea that, um, oh, this would be someone that would be good to be, uh, you know, good, good, good to be a figure who would be in my life, who would be, oh, it would be great if yeah, I had Peter I think Sissons I was, looking after
2: yeah, me. I think I was looking for. Um, parental figures who might um, have, you know, be able to sort of tell me what to do, I think. I wrote to the Queen. I wrote to John Major. I don't know what about. Just whatever happened. like, the letters would go into the post box every day, like, a few every day, here, there and everywhere. So it was just a constant constant stream of sending letters off into the world for a really long time.
0: Sad thing is of course that if only we, if you'd done, if the computers were around at the time, not that you're you're particularly old, but it's like computers are, so, it's only in the last 20 years, isn't it? Mm. That's regular. That we all know all of the letters and what the content was. And the, was there any, I mean, what what about replies? I mean, did, was it generally you'd get, thank you for your reply, here's a, a thank you for your letter, here's a signed photo? Or did anyone yeah, no. actually connect with you in terms of anything that you wrote?
2: Well, um, no, not really. No, Kellogg's, Kellogg's wrote back to me, they they started sending me um, packages of, um, you know, know, on the back of the Kellogg's boxes where there would be like, you can collect eight tokens and send off for this not very good thing, or you can collect eight tokens and then a postal order for like 10 pounds or something, and then they'll send you this good thing. So I used to just write long letters to them and then they would send me the good thing that I hadn't sent a postal order for.
0: Oh, that's good. That's a so nice... That, was,
2: I... that Someone there was quite sweet. Um, yeah, but no, no, nobody really... No one really did, not even Andy Bell. I wrote to Andy Bell a lot.
0: Oh, so Andy Bell would probably be the highest in, in terms of the, the the person you were most interested in or, or the music or whatever the connection you got from them.
2: Yeah, I was pretty pretty big on Andy Bell. Um, yeah, and I sort of... Yeah, I had, like, a tape, so I would have to, like, try and listen to him whilst I'd go to sleep, but he only had two songs on it, so it wasn't long enough to go to sleep, so you'd have to listen to it, then turn over, play the B-side, and then just keep turning it over until eventually drift away to the sound of andy bell
0: which one was that
2: um that was i think i think it might have been am i right
0: oh i don't know that one
2: <laughs> i think it was i think that one was from the chorus lp i also had Human and cry's my salt heart on cassingle which also two songs
0: is what a beautiful thing that is to think that you know. If I showed any of my Cassingles to uh, my son, I think he would. Uh, Dad, what kind of age did you live in? What kind of clunky age, of 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 ploughs and cranks, was this? Mm. Uh, and you've but got It's you... so
2: nice though, because you'd really appreciate the song, then, wouldn't you? Because if you had just that one song, you would listen to listen to boogery.
0: But I think there's also there is a different thing that even though you're younger than me, you're still, I would have thought of the generation where music was the predominant definer of so much of our existence. And, you know, and and I think I I might be wrong to say radio meant more, but certainly, you know, all of those possible connections and those possible DJs. I mean, because it does seem so strange now for neither of us, I think, go back so far that we're that really weird age of the DJ. Where well, on Radio One they were kind of seen as you know icons. Do you think you know people that the the worship for for some of these people mm. was? Uh, and you look and you go, what on earth? These kind of like creepy door to door salesmen. From a Dennis Potter play. Well, yeah. Somehow they, they, they were seen as, yeah, don't forget, come to the uh, Radio 1 Roadshow. We're <laughs> going to be in uh, Swanage. Uh, then you're going to be having uh, Smiley Miley! All of that's kind of strange excitement. Mm. You can almost see the sickness of England, can't you, just by looking at the kind of output. Of- but yeah, it's 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 a it's a, it's a strange world. I don't. I mean, obviously, I, I ended up only it was the it was the the late night DJs that uh, were the ones that I went for. But I see you've got okay. you've got a Hue and Cry poster behind you.
2: Yeah, I recently rescued that from my mum's house. It was covered in mold, and um, I managed to just scrub it off, and there they were underneath. And you can still got the little signed signed bet from that's from nineteen ninety four.
0: And I did they... go and
2: see them two weeks ago, and they were great.
0: Yeah, well, he's quite interesting, isn't he? Now, because uh, mm. that's Pat Kane, isn't it? Um, mm. And and because uh, I, he became TV director. I I'd, I'd worked on something with him as a TV director, and I've got his book, The Play Ethic, as well. Yes, yeah, which I read is that. It's really interesting.
2: It's really interesting. It's quite, um, it's quite a hard read because he's so um, academic, isn't he? Yeah. Massively academic. He did a thing at um, Salford Keys a couple of years ago. No, probably five or six years ago, actually. Um, which I saw listed that he was doing some lecture. So there's me and my friend Faye who have been going to see them for like thirty years now. And we that's we always get together and we go and see Hugh and Cry. And I said, Oh, he's doing this thing. Come along with me. And then at the very last minute, she couldn't go. I didn't really know what it was because I hadn't really looked. And it was, a, it was a lecture and it was very, very dense. And there was only me and a security guard. And that was um, quite an awkward two hours. So I was baffled by most of it. Um, but the, the bits I understood were really, really interesting.
0: Um, yeah, I did something with him at uh, the Cambridge Festival of Light. He was organising an event, and he asked me if I'd write a forty-five minute lecture on light bulb jokes. So I did. How did you? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what I've done with it. I've got all these weird lectures that I've written in the past, and um, I've got a huge compilation of the strangest kind of the most philosophical and esoteric light bulb jokes. I should really return to those light bulb jokes. I think that might be my my yeah. destiny in the end. Um, so this is. Um, when did you start? Wanting to write your friend forever because this is your first novel. And like I said, I think it is very, very full. And it is and you deal with so many ideas as well. There's so much in there. And what what, what I loved about it was <clears throat> I could see people would read this book and they would be able to empathize. And I could see it being more than an entertainment that people would find it really helpful to be able to walk through this mind um walk through some of the battles that, that Maud has to go through as we jump into the kind of you know we go from 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 her youth into then you know being a grown up and the things mm. that haven't worked out and I just so when did you decide you wanted to start writing it
2: mm, well i've I sort of I've had it in the back of my mind for years and I've, I've always quite liked an epistolary novel i think because i don't have a huge attention span so it quite suits me um and when I turned forty, I thought, "God, come on, Zena." So I went on an Arvon course, but I didn't at that point, I didn't know it was going to be a funny thing because I'd completely forgotten i like, entirely forgotten that I wrote funny things, even though I did. And I, you know when I was at uni, I wrote plays and I wrote funny plays. and as you you know, as you know, I've worked in around in and around comedy for years, but I'd completely forgotten that I had this voice like foot you know that I could write like that and after like five days at Arvon which was great because it was strangers and there's no expectations of you um nobody knows who you are and you can just sort of be quite anonymous and by the end of the few days I like we'd all sort of worked each other out a little bit and I was the one who wrote the funny things so because we all read to each other in the evenings what we'd been writing during the day and that was so helpful to me because it kind of made me remember all these things and then think oh right that's what I do I'd just entirely forgotten that um and it was just nice to meet people and then yeah remember remember that I'm a person in the world because you you can lose yourself quite easily as an adult with children and relationships and all sorts of things and um yeah, it was, it was really life-affirming experience. And then to come back, sort of thinking, yes, I know who I am again, I've remembered.
0: That's such an interesting thing. I was talking about that with someone the other day where when my mum died and I found, uh, we were going through stuff and I found all these letters from when she was probably only about 20 years old. And it was someone who I never knew, which I think is really, yeah, you know, that, that, that bit of... Uh, all of the, and and I think that you know I wonder about that with my dad. My dad who who is, is, is still around, but the fact that he had a period of time where he worked in rep theatre and he's got loads of stories, and it's only a few years, but that that somehow working out the continuity of the human being who might get lost is a really interesting thing to me. And I and it, I think that is why some people in middle age are so angry and so you know and and, and sometimes hating so many other people and always you know when you see some of the stuff whether it's journalists or whether it's social media as you think is, is, how much of this is a rage because those excitements when you know when you're about 15 years old and you're having a sleepover and you know t- you, you're, you're there with your friend and you're just it's dark and you're just talking and talking and talking and talking you and the talk is all about future possibilities and where you're going to go and what you're going to do and all the things you love because there's you know in some of those sleepovers there's just such an incredible amount of freedom of possibility isn't there
2: yeah which becomes yeah it can feel like it's becoming less and less and less like now i know i'm 45 now and i know i'm never going to be a surgeon
0: i don't think that was ever your destiny personally i've known you for what now you know nearly 20 years and uh in fact 20 years probably pretty much yeah and um You know, I know I I shouldn't believe in the Victorian science of physiognomy or any of those things. You were one of the ones that never struck me as a surgeon. Yeah. Not as much as I've struck myself that I'm most definitely not a surgeon. I haven't got the nerve. Um, But I think, you know, but in terms of the writing side of it, that is what were, so what were your thinking of those kind of moments where sometimes you just be, you know, with your best friend? And uh, and of course, you know, you've worked with uh, Michelle. I should say for the listeners, Michelle. Also, <clears throat> they uh, the first time I met uh, Zena and Michelle, they used to run a fantastic theatre in Camden where loads of us went and did uh, kind of tried out our our new shows called the etcetera theatre, and then gone on to Cam- Camden Fringe and, and Manchester Fringe. And you always had such a kind of sense of of a team of a double act. You know, you were you were you were the Cagney and Lacey, I think, of uh, North London Fringe Theatre.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think so yeah and yeah we, I mean we still are Ray's more um she pop around every so often we'll have a cup of tea so what we're going to do well, sometimes I bump into her when she's running now she's always just whew, straight past me but uh, the other day I bumped into her and she was wearing um, pink glittery wellies and dinosaur um Dinosaur print. What do you call them? Dungarees.
0: Not changed a bit. So she's not changed still. A
2: bit. She's still. She's got the play ethic.
0: So do you battle for your play ethic? Then do you think? I mean, because you said you know you've got a lot. You, you have 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 a lot to try and juggle to find the space to be yourself. To to be or to be well, actually, not be yourself, but to be that self. That yeah. That that, that playful, creative for self. Yeah.
2: I think not so much anymore I think um, as my daughter's got a bit older and so like I've got a friend called Laura who we every so often we drive to Haworth and we meet meet each other in Haworth on the moors and we dress up as clowns and we do hexes and we scream we roll around in the mud um, and we, we just go a bit nuts so sometimes we stay in a little B&B there And we like, we'll sleep in the bed dressed as clowns and just, and I know that sounds really weird and possibly mentally ill, but it's just our way of playing and it's really, really nice.
0: I've seen far worse kind of hen night behaviour or stag night behaviour than dressing up as clowns and rolling around in the mud. I, I I think that sounds fantastic. It seems to have many different levels to it as well. I mean, it even has a kind of Billy Smart's version of the film Midsummer about it.
2: I've not watched that.
0: Oh, okay. Probably don't actually. Or maybe do. I mean it's a great film mm-hmm. but it's long and I don't want it to get in the way of your clowning either. So this is when you when you started writing, so let's go through Going through Maud, as you said, you know, very much, you know, you feel that it is 95% you in terms of when Maud's a teenager. When you were writing, were were there any points where you thought, this bit of writing is very cathartic, but this bit of writing is too close? You know, that that sense of, I think, for many people's first novel, where you go, oh, hang on a minute, this is my life. And I need to just detach myself a little bit further uh, from the narrative that I'm creating.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely I've, I, I mean, I did like, <laughs> did the thing of, I didn't set it in Bury, but I, I set it in Preston, which is like a similar market town. And I set it a few years, she was a few years older than me. So I thought that way, nobody will guess that it's anything to do with me. Um, I mean, I, you know, there's, I haven't told my mum about it, put it that way, because um, that wouldn't go down well. Um, So yeah, but I I found the second half much harder to write, I think, because I'm closer to all of that. Um, And I found it very easy to write in young Maud's voice. That came really easily to me. But the second half, it was really hard, even though when I was writing it, Maud was 42 and I was 42, but trying to get that voice was really difficult. Um, trying to get that thing of she's the same person, but 30 years have gone by. Um, and, yeah, I found that really difficult, and that was probably more probably more painful to write than the first bit. But that, the whole thing was quite therapeutic, probably.
0: Finding that voice is such an interesting thing because it was uh... – Rebecca Payton, a friend of mine who we've who we've had on I think I hope we've had on Book Shambles, who um she wrote a, a play called uh, Sometimes I Laugh Like My Sister. Um her her dad died when she was six and then her sister was, was murdered, uh when when she was in her mid thirties. And Rebecca once told me this this I, I found it so because 'cause I've known her for years and years and years and I knew her when um before her sister was murdered, but it was after that point that I began to know her. If you mm-hmm. see what I that, that was, um, when she wrote this play, which was predominantly about the experience for, in her mind of what happened when her sister was murdered, um, she walked off stage after the first day and she went up to the, the, her co-writer, the guy who helped her write it, and, uh, and said, "I now I know whose voice that was. Now I know who, who wrote that play. And he was like, oh, I thought that was, you know, it's your voice. And she said it was the six-year-old that no one listened to when her dad died. And I thought that, that to me, is such an incredible, you know, why the power of writing and why the power of you going off to Arvon and doing those things should never be in any way dismissed is because if you, or even I, I think of, you know, in the autobiographical work of what Alan Davis has managed to do with his his most recent book, again, after doing a writing course and suddenly he had the, the tools... Uh, to deal with a, a, an incredibly, you know, a, 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 a story which is a deeply disturbing story. and Yeah, and he, I, I haven't read that,
2: that yet because I don't think I can read it. <laughs> I read, no, it, yeah, sorry, Lem, sorry, Lem's, uh, Lem Cise's book, that, I and mean, that was a similar, well, not similar, but, you know, ch- tales of um, children having a horrible time is quite, quite a tough read, isn't it? Yeah. Oh God, the bit at the end of that book when he finds the typewriter outside his door.
0: Yeah, it's it's such a great, um, such an important book that yeah. I, I would say that, and I would highly recommend Kerry Hudson's *Lowborn* as well. Yeah, was, yeah, I've uh, read that as well. Yeah, yeah, she's great. What What about in terms of your your because as you said, you found your funny voice again. Because I've always found you very funny. I think you have very funny. You 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 have are, are very funny. And that that bit of when you were writing that 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 reader, who were the who were the influences for you when you were growing up. Did you were the certain like I mean I, I did mention that there is and it's probably a cliche to say but you did create a teenage voice that to me was as authentic as what Sue Townsend did with Adrian Mole you know Adrian Mole when I first read that you know, those first two books in particular oh it's it's so she so went managed to get into the 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 skin of that that boy mm. um, so who who were you reading when you were growing up when you were a teenager oh
2: well I, mean, I read I read and absolutely adored the Adrian Mull books and it's yeah, my daughter's reading them now and it's a really, it's such a pleasure. She keeps shouting me from her bedroom saying, what does wanton mean and what does, you know, what's lust and what my loins and all these sort of <laughs> words that he was um, coming out with. So she's really enjoying those and she's asked me to get her all the other ones for Christmas. So that was really nice. But I read, um, I I was obsessed with Ina Brighton books, and I think, I mean, I was qu- quite young, but that was a like the Mallory Towers, the six Mallory Towers books. And for example, on a Saturday, I would sit down in a chair and I would read all six of them. And for me, that meant I'd spent the whole day at Mallory Towers with these girls who I quite like most of them, apart from Gwendolyn Mary, who everyone hated. But, um, you know, so I got to spend the day with Daryl and Sally um, and Alicia with her jokes that she'd get from her brothers. And and so I would spend the whole time there rather than in this bit of a madhouse that I was actually in. Um, And then I got in, then I had an old, my older brother, Craig, he was really into Stephen King, so I went straight from Ina Blyton to um like misery and the stand and all of these horror books. Um so it was yeah, it was either Ina Blyton or Stephen King, really. So so then all my stories at school, I started writing in, in American and I'm getting told off for that, and um writing some really sort of gruesome, lots of really gruesome horror stories about um, people being like raped by devils and things like that. Um, so there, there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't much else to read um, apart from like the encyclopedias, which I didn't really do.
0: So what was your favourite? Stephen King It's the one that really stuck with you.
2: Oh the the stand, the really really big one because there was a character in it. I think he's called Nick, who's a deaf mute. I really I really attached to him. I would probably have written to him if I'd have thought he was a real person. Um, and then he got killed. Oh, and I really liked Thomas Hardy as well. I was quite into Thomas Hardy.
0: Thomas Hardy's an intro, but isn't it because the. Uh again for a teenager that's I mean I remember reading Tess when I was a teenager and that's a hell of a lot to uh go through isn't it and and that that anger that annoyance where because I'm always I always want to jump into books when I'm getting really frustrated you I want to go in there and go what are you doing you know like talking about you know the books by Kerry and Lem but also in fiction sometimes you know the the placing of the letter where it slides under the carpet so it's not found and you, it's like what every time you watch a film where you know there's a bad ending and you think, each time you think, maybe this time though, maybe this time they won't get in that car, or maybe this time they won't go in that direction, or maybe this time, all, all of that, and... Uh, I I think I mean do you because that's the interesting thing, is it one of the beautiful things about literature is that bit of empathizing so deeply with something that has come from someone's mind that has not existed in reality beyond the reality of their mind but sometimes that thing I think ah oh, I shouldn't worry I like uh, some things I can barely watch at all because I'm just rolled up even though I go I know this is not real and I know these are actors and I know these are characters or whatever mm. they might be
2: yeah there's a there's a new thing on Netflix called it's called The Maid or something like that. Um, And I started watching that the other day where she tries to escape from her partner with her child and then she leaves the child with her mum and then the mum phones up the husband and just lets him come and collect the child. And I just said, oh my, I can't watch this. This is just too... just too stressful, very stressed. So, yeah, I had to turn that one off.
0: I think the older I've got, the more I go, I don't want to go through stress. I don't want to. And, and there seems to be a huge number of, of, of dramas of late which are about parents who never know if their missing child as the missing child, the lost child. Again, why, why do I want to go through that? No, I watch Steve Merchant's Outlaws, which is still quite stressful at times. Is it? But also has Steve Merchant in a very rude scene at one point, which was Ooh. quite... Dis- oh, yes, I know, yes. He's in really? a car park and one thing leads to another. Anyway, it ends, of course, in full slapstick way, but it's very different to the comedy we talked about when we did an event about Laurel and Hardy, I can tell you that much. Oh. This would not have happened to Stan, for sure. There there's
2: no eggs and nuts? Or was there well, eggs and nuts? Well,
0: unfortunately, from a Freudian perspective, you have very much put a terrible image in people's heads. Um, What are you reading at the moment?
2: Right, so I've just started this, which my clown friend Laura got me for my birthday.
0: A Witch by Rebecca Tammas.
2: Mm, it's poetry and it's quite visceral. The first poem in it is about um, hexing men's penises. I'll
0: write hard-boiled eggs and nuts again, I presume yeah. is probably the hex words that are used.
2: Yeah. I've just finished this by Katie Wicks.
0: Oh yeah, oh Katie, that, so that's good. another one where yeah, you must have wanted to leap into that one.
2: Yeah, weirdly, very weirdly, and I've never told her this, but when um when I was writing my book and I was picturing Maud's best friend Sarah, in my head, she was Katie. She looked like Katie Wicks. That's who I pictured. And I don't really know Kate. I mean, I met her a few times over the years at the etc. and whatnot. Um, but for some reason, she was in my head. And then reading that, I thought, oh, it's quite, there's a lot of similarities, I think, um, in in some ways. Um, read that recently, Sheila Hetty.
0: I don't know that. So how, how should a person be? This is, uh, t- tell me about that.
2: It's very, um, you know, when someone writes something that is, is all from inside their mind, so it's not like there was a beautiful gate and it was tall and it was brown and there was flowers all over it. <laughs> Nothing like that. I don't really like that kind of writing. It's more, I was thinking this. I was and I, I was having this horrible thought about this person, and then I did this, and then I did this. And when you read it, you think that's ninety-five percent what she's done, and then she's just changed a few bits here and there. But mostly, it's her, and it's is navel gazing really, but just wonderful. And um, I'm really big on Miranda July, who, who it turns out is best friends with Sheila Hetty. And she writes like just really weird, really weird stories, but really from a cere- cerebral point of view, rather than a look at this thing this was the man was doing this thing and he said that. And then she said that it's more, it's all like the inner world. Um,
0: So that's what you want. Again, like you were saying when you, you know, had that experience in the pub, and also as you know, when you were younger as well. That that, and I, I don't know whether retreat is the right word because retreat suggests that there's some kind of sense of surrender, whereas I don't necessarily think there is actually in in spending a lot of time in your mind. I think that's a kind of a typical rather English approach to mm-hmm. be, you know, oh, you spend too much time thinking, you know, <coughs> that kind of uh, rather you know grotesque attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's interesting because because to me that is the most fascinating. Did you ever read Eamon McBride's "A Girl Is a Half-Formed Thing"? Oh, no, no. That's quite a, uh, that's a, it's a really disturbing kind of book in which you are in someone's mind. Mm. Um, and it's one of those fascinating books that when it uh, came out, it won an award. And so then lots of people put it in their reading groups and then people went, what? Oh, God, this is, you know, it's a, it either, it's a five-star, one-star book. People right. get really cross because they've not read a book like that before and they're furious. Why, why did this win the special prize? I'm very angry about that. So that I, I, I'm really fascinated in that in that fact, yeah. That just because I, I think I like that most of all. I want to know how someone's mind's working. I, I, I prefer that than just going. Someone's having a rip roaring adventure. We were in a fast car. It was really fast. It was brilliant, and I had all guns and everything. Yeah, yeah. I would, that, uh, I would much yeah. rather read about. Meanwhile, while he had the gun and he was in the fast car, he was also experiencing homosexual panic. You know, that's <laughs> the kind of thing that.
2: Yeah, definitely, I definitely like that. And um and I really like Patty Smith's writing. Um, because she well, it's very relaxing to read it because nothing happens. She's just sort of going backwards and forwards to the coffee shop to have some black coffee and a piece of toast dipped in olive oil. And if you just read it and think, oh yeah, maybe I could be the kind of person that goes to a coffee shop and has black coffee and doesn't do that because I would want milk and butter but it's very The what she describes tiny things in a really intricate way and she's very she has like a few things that she's really obsessed with and she takes these little trinkets around with her and um yeah I just find it very relaxing to read although I don't like her spitting
0: Where's the... You held up that book and I couldn't quite... Because I've got that book. I remember getting it from News From <laughs> Nowhere, the brilliant bookshop in, in Liverpool. Oh, Devotion, yeah. That's... Because uh, I read... I've, <laughs> I've, I've I've not read that one yet. I picked it up because News From Nowhere is one of those. Have you been to News From Nowhere?
2: No.
0: Oh, it's just this fantastic bookshop in Liverpool that the moment you go in, you go, oh, I need that. Oh, I didn't know that existed. And I need that. And I need that. And... Because uh, I read Just Kids, which yeah. is... uh And I, I just think... It, it's such a still one of my favourite things of all time is watching her forget the the words to uh, "Hard Rain's Gonna Fall" at the Nobel Prize uh, ceremony, because I just think it's so beautiful. It, that that's something that for some reason almost makes me want to cry because I really love it. I just think it's a really beautiful moment of someone who, even though she later on an in interview said how embarrassing it was and mortified she was, mm. but I th- I think it had it shows you that sometimes those little moments where because have you seen it no she just so she's doing doing hard rains gonna fall and then she just loses her place and there's an all you know band all playing a huge Nobel Prize ceremony imagine everyone's in their black tie and she goes oh sorry 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 can we just start can we go from the and and I'd love it watch it it's it's really beautiful but that she has that uh, uh, Patty Smith's one of those you know when you go why was I listening to some of those bands that the NME recommended in 1992 when I should have been listening to more Patty Smith this was very foolish of me
2: yeah. I think I listened to far too many men when I was younger, but I think I was I was so um, guided by my loins, um, <laughs> and now that's all over. So I so I'm free to enjoy women singing to me and in, enjoy all the words by women that I should have been enjoying when I was younger, but somehow you know had to had to be like physically attracted to the person to actually listen to what they were saying
0: so who are you enjoying who who at the moment have you kind of either gone to who's from the past or maybe present uh, um artists
2: um singing wise yeah um oh well i'm still i'm still <laughs> mostly listening to Um, In the car, well, I listen to music in the car, mostly Aztec Camera or, or Al Green or The Proclaimers.
0: I mean, but apart from those four women, who are the other four women that you're particularly enjoying listening to? I'm glad um, that you're still guided by your loins, by the way towards the proclaimers. I know that was always very much yeah. an issue. You've got one <laughs> one proclaimer on the right bicep, one com, 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 proclaimer on the left yeah. bicep. As I've far as I remember, off that tattoo parlor.
2: I've always liked brothers doing things or twins doing things. So, and and you know, so Pat and Greg Kane and. Um, you know, the Proclaimers, what are they call Craig and obviously Which. Matt and Luke. Luty, piss off.
0: Mm-hmm. That's the uh, cat, by the way, in case anyone's wondering mm-hmm. what that sound was. But I think they'd have been able to work it out on uh, this week's Guess the Sound on Josie and Robin's book shambles. Um, that's interesting, yeah. So, yeah, Pat and Luke Kane, the Proclaimers, Jeremy Irons and Jeremy Irons in Dead Ringers, obviously.
2: Jeremy Irons and Jeremy Irons' son in... Um, uh, Danny, Champion of the World. Danny, Champion of the World, Meredith and I enjoyed that the other day. Um, Yeah, maybe I am still completely guided by my loins.
0: Yeah, it turns out that it's not over yet. I would suggest that this weekend you go straight to the moors with your longest shoes, Mm -hmm. and I think it's the only thing that's going to get – once you've got your long shoes on the moors, you're going to be fine. Um, Thank you so much for, for doing Book Shambles. I'm gonna say again, yeah, this is a, such a good book. Now now the best ways what's the best way of people getting this? Because it's an unbound book. It's an unbound uh, book.
2: Um you can get it on obviously Amazon. You can get it from Waterstones, Blackwells. Um, the big big bookshops will have it and some le- little bookshops will have it or they can order it in um so the usual places.
0: Well, your friend forever, Zena Barry. Uh, I really, really, really recommend it. And I, uh, um, it is, uh, uh, and I, like I said, I think it's, What I like about it is there are there are bits that are properly, 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 properly funny, and then it takes you into other places as well, and uh, and it's. I won't give away anything about it. But I also think there'll be an enormous number of people because of the way that you write about being a teenager. Uh, and then as you get older as well, I think there'll be a lot of people that will find themselves reading it and then going, oh, man, that's reminded me of when I used to send letters to Alistair Burnett after he'd appeared <laughs> on the ITN News. Um <laughs> So thank you very much, everyone, for listening as well. Thank you very much to our producer, Trent Burton. Josie will be back at some point soon. Um, and uh, and as I said, don't forget, I'm still on my 100 bookshop tour as well. Uh, I've got... Uh, depending on where this goes out, but towards the end of it, I've got, I've got two two gigs in Hull actually. I'm doing one for Wrecking Ball Press, who've got a venue now. Wrecking Ball Press uh, published the books of Barney Farmer, who I've mentioned many times before, uh, who is also a great writer of Viz, uh, Drunken Baker's Mail Online, etc. So I'm going to be in Hull, and I'm going to be in Hexham, and I'm going to be in Saltburn, and I'm going to be in Stockton, and I'm going to be in Newcastle, and I'm going to be in Lithgow, Linlithgow, amongst other places. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a lovely week. Bye-bye.
1: Yes, Robin and Zena's books are available now. Go out and get those. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash bookshambles. Rate, review, like, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, wherever you listen to the show. Back next week with another new episode. Our guest next week should be the comedy historian Louis Barth, and we're talking to him about his new book about Morecambe and Wise. Until then, have a great week. Stay safe. We'll see you soon.
0: This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.